Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have called us, forgiven us, and today taken us into your presence to give us the privilege of hearing and singing your holy word. Now as we hear the word preached, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's hear our passage today from Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, often in our lives, we come to places where we are overwhelmed. We look around and we see what appears to be chaos. This reminds me of a time uh, quite a few years ago where I was working as an overnight manager at Walmart. And there were several layers of management. And I was kind of at the, the second tier. And our first tier manager came into the store a little bit before I got there. And our, our, our Walmart was under remodel. And when you're doing a remodel, that means jacking up the shelves and rolling them around. And they were tearing up the floors and putting down new floors, whether it needed it or not. I'm not quite sure about all that. But <clears throat> the one thing that happens when you start moving around a store the size of that, you've got to move the product out of the way. So in this one particular night, we came in and they had taken several departments worth of merchandise and dumped it into carts. And there were literally carts everywhere. And, and it, it was an absolute chaotic wreck. And when I got there, at first, I couldn't find the, the senior manager on duty. I'm, I'm walking around with him. I'm looking for him. I finally catch up with him, and he's doing this. <laughs> right? He keeps wa walking around doing this. And from about 8.15 when I came across him till about 11, he just kept circling around. And every time he turned around, he was just going. He was absolutely overwhelmed. By midnight, I looked at the other assistant manager and I said, we've got to do something, because now at 10 o'clock we had our crew come in, and there's no plan, nothing's going on. If we don't do something, right, everything's coming to a standstill. But this poor guy, he was just, he couldn't get past the utter disaster that, that was around us. And, and I can't even remember. It was, I don't know, maybe 150 shopping carts, every cart in the store almost just filled up. And so, um, 
you know, sometimes we look at circumstances like that, and it, there's a reality that plays into our lives. Okay, that manager, he didn't do it, he didn't plan it, and yet he had some kind of responsibility to do something with it. And so that uh, on this Monday morning, because we were working overnights, came in Sunday night, on that Monday morning, the store would be ready for business. And so we actually had to take him, set him down in the radio grill, the little restaurant in front of Walmart in those days, and said, look, we'll do something if you just can't handle it. And we went about trying to come up with a plan. And there were carts left over, no doubt, at the end of the day. Uh, but we uh, tucked them away and got them out of the way, at least temporarily. But our lives, you know, can get in this fashion. I, I remember, you know, most of you know I have eight children. And that at one point we brought my youngest brother and my grandmother and my father in the house with 13 people. So every meal was a lot of food. And when we had laundry day, I mean, it was a mountain of laundry. And that's not counting all the stuff you do in the middle of the week, like towels and sheets and everything else. This is just the clothes that people are wearing. Those kinds of things can be overwhelming. You can wake up. Usually it's in the middle of the night finding your kids sick. You can go to your job and you can find things that you're going to have to deal with that are absolutely overwhelming. Or God brings a challenge to you in your personal life. A person dies. Someone's injured in an accident. All kinds of things happen. We can fall and be overwhelmed. We can be depressed and paralyzed into not taking actions that we find ourselves in. We forget that our God, the living God, is by his own wise counsel providentially working in our daily lives. From health issues to job challenges to challenges with our children and within our marriages. God is working his will. So what are we to do? Well, verse 4 tells us this. We are to rejoice. We are to rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always. And listen, every time you see in the scripture a direction, and then you're told that direction immediately with it, that means God knows that that's going to be a struggle. So it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Now, people of God, it is a duty and a privilege to rejoice and give thanks to God. Practically, when we see a flat tire, that dirty diaper blow out right before you walk out the door for something you have to do, an offensive comment by someone, or health challenges, we see them all as reasons not to rejoice. But in fact, we are to be glad in what God has ordained for us. Psalm 104:34 says, "May the meditation, or excuse me, may my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in Yahweh." So our thoughts should be sweet to God. We should be glad in the God who keeps his covenant with us. One commentator says, "Joy is the duty of great consequence in the Christian life. And Christians must again and again be called to it. Now this is a hard thing to hear. If good men do not have a continual feast, it is their own fault. Now granted, that's a commentator. 
but it's a commentator well known to you all. And it is this idea that we must submit ourselves to God in the providences that He's provided to us and therefore find joy in God's great kindness to us. What has He brought us? He's first of all brought us salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. God granted us salvation when we didn't deserve it, so we can rejoice in the hardness that we find. We can rejoice that our sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice. Look at Psalm 40, verse 16. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, Yahweh, be magnified. When our sins are forgiven, we can rejoice. We can say God is magnified. If we love the gift of salvation that God has given us that we didn't deserve, we can be full of joy and rejoice. We also have ongoing grace. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Today, the Lord's Day culmination at His table is filled with rejoicing all around the table because God is at peace with us. And that rejoicing flows out through the week. God is ready to forgive. When you came in here and confessed your sins, we know that God, through Christ Jesus, forgave you. We have a hard time believing that, which is why we put up hard things that come in our lives and we say, God, I don't understand. We need to understand that He has forgiven us and He draws us to His joyful table and that that joy should flow out through our entire week. We can also rejoice because of His provision. 2 Corinthians 9, beginning of verse 10, says this, Now may, may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. God provides from the beginning to the end all that we need. He even provides the talent and our opportunities. He supplies, all He supplies for us should cause us to be filled with thanksgiving and for us to rejoice in God. You know, one of the admonitions that was given to the people of Israel is when I bring all the blessings to you, don't forget. Don't forget what I have done for you, how I have delivered you out of bondage, how I have supplied all your needs. He created a miracle so none of their sandals wore out. Man, they marched around the desert for 40 years. I'm lucky if I can get a pair of shoes to last a year. And here, God provides everything that we have need of, including the hard providence, because we can see that as He takes His people in the Exodus, He puts hardship on them. To what end? to expose what was in their hearts so they could see it, that they might repent and be ready. But he warns, man, when you come into the promised land, when I bring you my goodness, guess what's going to happen? You're going to forget 
all that I've done and think you did it for yourself. Do not lose sight. When you start looking at what you built, and you say, ah, I've done this, we're forgetting his provision for us. So let us rejoice both in his goodness and when he brings challenges into our lives. We are to be patient and live with moderation. Verse 5 of Philippians 4 says this, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. What is this gentleness that we are to let be seen by all men? This gentleness is behaving in a favorable way towards others in all situations. Do the people around you know that you have good in mind for them and not evil? This gentleness avoids extremes. We don't fall into reacting harshly at every moment, and neither do we fall into a place where we have no reaction. But we need to love our people, love those around us, love our people at our jobs. Are we, are we providing them? Do they know that you have good in mind for them? In your families, in this church. We should avoid bigotry and animosity. And you say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Just wait. We are to judge charitably concerning one another. Hear what Romans chapter 14 says. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes that day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats the Lord. For God, excuse me, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat. And gives thanks, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose, and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge a brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now here's the deal. What happens is we have a tendency to look to others and make judgments on them. We make all kinds of judgments. They don't do this, or they do that, or all these different things. We find ways to create division and to find ways to say, well, I'm better than them. We are not to live in such a way. And why do we, why do we not live in such a way? Because Jesus is king, and we shall all have to give an account. We do not need to judge and look for our own vindication. God is the only one who exercises vengeance, Deuteronomy 32. And when Deuteronomy 32 is quoted in Romans, the Apostle Paul instructs us to provide kindness to our enemies. And this work against your, when, when we provide kindness to our enemies, when we look to God to bring about justification and vindicating us, when we provide kindness, this works against your enemy and God will reward us. And in this, God also provides for our patience because, you know, some of these circumstances, they require pa patience. Have you ever asked God, give me more patience? 
And what does he do? He provides you opportunities to be more patient. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 says this, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patience of Christ. The Lord directs our hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. This is seeing and acting towards others in the love of God and in the patience of Christ. We look to God as he told us the truth and provided the solution that we need. This is both true love and patience. What I'm trying to explain to you here is to say when we look at God, God saw the difficulties and the problems that we had. He told us the truth about it. And then what did he do? He provided the solution. All too often, we want to look at people and we, we, we have two reactions. This is this whole balance thing, right? Uh, well, they got a problem. I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to act anything. Whatever. And then there's the other side is, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to hit you with my hammer. No, we are to look at a person as God sees them. With love, speaking directly, and pointing them to Jesus Christ. So we are to have both true love and patience because God directs us to do so and provides it for us. Our passage also reminds us that in Christ we have peace. In verse 6 it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving let your requests be known, known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, this passage right here reminds us of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look to the birds of the air. They neither snow, sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You know, it's really interesting. When God creates the world, he puts everything in place. He doesn't create the animals first and all the foods for the, for the birds later. No, he creates it in a particular order. And he sets it up to do what? To grow, provide food, but some of that drops. And the birds themselves eat some of that food and drop the seeds elsewhere and thereby causing it to grow. If God, for a very bird, would do such a thing as this, the question is, how is he caring for you? We have to have no fear. If he planned everything, we know that he is someone we can trust. The change is from a state of anxiousness. Right? He says, don't be anxious but in everything. This word everything used without an article means every, every kind or variety. Nothing is left out. Your situation now fits God's category. Even in the future, when there are new technologies included, so in all things, we don't have to be anxious. You know, when I look at the technological advances that have happened since I was born. It's amazing. 
And there are new kinds of difficulties and problems that we can create or have been created or get around us. And yet God says, be anxious for nothing. God knows all and is working providentially in all situations. It doesn't matter what changes occur in our society. It doesn't matter what technologies come about. We don't have to be in a state of anxiousness because all things we can do what? We are called to, in prayers, orient ourselves to God. Our prayers addressed to God and prayed through the eyes of God's Word and not through our own sight and understanding. The difficulties come when we look at these issues and we say, Oh, I see and I understand. Are you framing the situation to the way God's Word speaks of it? The scripture uses this word prayer and supplication. So we can also come. Supplication means to bring before God what our needs are, what our wants are, what we are deprived of. And it is taken to God seeking, asking God our Father. Now the, 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 the thing is, is, again, if you look at the Exodus narrative, you see what happens. They go and they complain to Moses and they complain to one another. They're mur murmuring and complaining. The issue wasn't that they had a need, but rather they didn't take their needs to God. This admonition tells us that we should make times to pray. We should pray in emergencies. We're usually pretty good at doing that, right? We should pray in good times and pray in times of suffering. This is God's sovereign antidote for those things that consume our concerns. In our prayers, we should be sure to ask God to reveal our sin. If we sin, we confess the sin that is revealed. And then, as Jesus says, go and sin no more. This means that the action follows confession. We should remember Jesus' parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18, that we should persist in prayer and then rest in our trust of God demonstrated by thanksgiving in our prayers and throughout our day because the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God is rest and quietness in Him. No matter the chaos around us, we can find peace in all circumstances. You know, it says that this peace surpasses all understanding. Well, this phrase means to take hold over a person so that all. Wait a minute, there's that word all again. What does that mean? All, everything, completeness. This means that the peace of God takes hold over things that bring anxiousness so that your mind is no longer captive to fears and anxieties that fill our minds. When we ask God by our prayers and petition, He will work for us. That's not because it's a slot machine, but He is providentially at every moment working for us for His glory. When we trust His will, we can now take action. 
We can live and do what we should be doing with what God has entrusted us with. In our sinful natures, we can begin to overthink things and become overwhelmed to the point of being paralyzed. Our fears and anxieties enslave us when we do not pray, when we do not pray and live with gratitude and thanksgiving, we fall into traps and often do not deal with our responsibilities. What happens then? We don't work diligently. We do not do our jobs as we ought. We do not tend our homes or our children as we ought. We look around us and we do not take dominion as God has told us to do. We do not need to live our lives gripped in fear and anxiety. Pray with thanksgiving. Trust God and His peace will keep. This word keep means to guard. It is meant to keep out a hostile invasion. This reminds us of Genesis 2 when Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. We know that the first Adam failed to keep the garden and the serpent invaded and brought temptation and Adam failed. When we try to keep things ourselves, any peace is simply temporary until the serpent invades. Jesus, the second Adam, does not fail to keep his people. Jesus stepped between us and the serpent and laid down his life for us voluntarily. That's in John 10. And God tells us in Romans 8 that no one can condemn us. Romans 8:34 says, Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And guess what he's doing there? He is pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? No, verse 36 of Romans 8 says, As the scriptures say, for your sake we are, are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Because Christ died for us and has forgiven our sin, we have victory. We have peace and rest in the work of Christ. Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So despite any and all trouble or calamity, or if you are persecuted, or if you're hunger, if you have destitution, if you're in danger, or any who are threatened with death, we have peace and rest in Him. God will do what is best for us and bring glory to His name. With all this direction for our life, this passage continues to instruct us as to how then we should think and live. In Christ, we are then to meditate on, and we see again in verse 8 of Philippians 4, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul doesn't just leave 
things just as they are, but goes on and says, because we rejoice and live as Christ does, and with others' best interest in mind, with moderation and patience, we bring our prayers to God, and because of Jesus, He will give us peace in all things. And this puts us in a place to slow down and to meditate on God and His attributes and what they mean in our daily lives. Do we define these bullet points with our own dictionary? No. That is one of the chief problems of our day. You've heard a, a famous preacher today say that he who writes the dictionary wins the culture. No, we don't try to look at these situations and these developments and the things going on in our lives and even these attributes of God and define them ourselves. We look to what Scripture tells us they mean. <coughs> So what should we do? We should, <clears throat> you know, everyone, yes, excuse me, the, the problem with this chief issue is, is that everyone wants to define things for themselves. And when we do that, we are saying we want to be our own God. So what should we do? We should consider how Jesus teaches through his words and his actions about these things and meditate on them. Equally, what does the whole counsel of God's word say to teach us how to think, and therefore understand the world and the circumstances of our lives. So we are to meditate on what? Things that are true. We know that Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, this is exactly why we spend six months of our year hearing the gospel readings preached. If you haven't picked up on that pattern from Advent, to Pentecost, my sermons are preached out of the gospel lesson. We want to hear the words of Christ. We want to understand how he lives and how he instructs us so that we are truly not disciples of thought, but disciples of Jesus Christ. We also want to make sure that we think on him. I encourage you, read the word, hear the word, study Christ Jesus and his words and certainly all the counsel of God's Word. We're to think about things that are noble, that's honorable, and worthy of respect. I've got to tell you, the word noble is not something that we use in our common everyday language anymore. We don't look over there at that man and say, that's a noble man. We don't say, wow, that's a noble effort to get involved in. But we are, we are told here to look for things and meditate on God and decide what is honorable and worthy of respect, certainly God himself. Proverbs 8, 6 says, Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. So those things that are right and honorable, good, and worthy of respect, we should think on. We are to think on things that are just. What is just? It is upright, righteous. A lot of times when you look in the word in the scripture and you look at, at the, the diff, how the, the, the Greek word or the Hebrew word is translated, you see, just and righteousness very often interchangeably used. Virtuous. It is keeping the commands of God. We see in 1 John 2, it says, My little children, these things are right to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ the righteous. 
So here we see that Christ is the righteous. We are to meditate on Christ and his word. We are to look and consider Christ in all things. So we too can look and understand what is just by looking at Christ Jesus. We are to think about what is pure. Pure means to be given, to not be given, to lusts and sinful desires, to be chaste, to be undefiled, as in not an adulterer, but rather we are to be modest, restrained in our words and actions. Now many of you in this room say, well, I've not been an adulterer, but have you been idolatrous in your heart towards God? That too is adultery. We must, in fact, be modest, be restrained in our words and restrained in our actions. James 3.17 says this, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. What a blessing to think about what it means to be pure. We are to think about things that are lovely. What is lovely? It's those things that are acceptable and pleasing. Hebrews 13.21 says, says this, May May God make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Because of Christ, we can do lovely things that please God and bring glory to His name. We please our Father in heaven when we lay our lives down and we lay our will down. We need to die to ourself for the benefit of others. When we are forgiving, kind, and as giving as our Father does, we please Him. And this is only possible through Christ and the new heart that God provides. We are to meditate and consider the things that are of good report. Again, this good report means good and favorable and kind. The Lord in Ephesians 2 tells us this, that after God raised Christ and put him next to him at his right hand in heavenly places. Verse 7 says this, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the gospel. The, the good news that God's kindness is nothing short of surpassing riches in his grace because of Christ Jesus. Do we meditate this? Do you, see, do you hear me keep talking about Jesus? Part of what I'm trying to tell you here is as we meditate on these things, we can look to Christ first. He is our only Savior. He is the one that we should meditate and consider. And remember that all of His Word, Jesus is, is the Word, and it is all of the Scriptures are of Him and are about Him. We are to meditate on anything, any virtue. Now this is interesting because... The virtues are moral excellence. And this is really important. This is not virtues defined by the pagans, but the virtues that are defined by God. It's a moral excellence that brings glory to God. You know, one of the things right now we talk about virtues, and, and people say, oh, that person's doing a good work. That's kind of virtuous over there. But how have they determined what is virtuous? Is it through their own construct of what is right and true and good? Or 
Are they looking to God's word to determine what those are? This is really important. There are people that are protesting in the streets on all sides of all kinds of issues. Are they looking to God's word to define what they say is right or wrong? Or is it their own mind, their own thoughts? 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. If something is virtuous, God gets the glory. Not a man, not a group of people, but all that they do proclaims the praises of our God. It also tells us that we should meditate on anything praiseworthy. Psalm 57.7 says, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. We rejoice. We have peace, so we are steadfast in God. Not because of ourselves, but because of the work of Jesus. Our hearts can be steadfast, and so we can give praise. We can sing and give that praise because we have peace in God. We can rest and be steadfast in Him. We think that we may take action in our lives. Excuse me, we think so that we can take action in our lives. So this whole point of meditation isn't simply so that we create this, as, as Plato might say, oh, I, I think, and, and it's the rational, and you know, my spiritual life is all tied up in just my insides and what I'm thinking. No, we are to think on these things so that we can take action. We are to examine the world around us and frame it with God's word. We must judge what we see in our own hearts and in what God has given us responsibility over in the light of the gospel. Romans 12, 2 tells us this, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. If you're going to prove out what the perfect will of God is, it isn't for you to just keep inside. No, you are to live and take action based on these things. And we see this because he then says this, that we consider and learn and adjust and order what we see so that we bring glory to God in the world. Because look what he says in verse 9 of Philippians 4. He says this, the things which you have learned, right? So he's, they, they've heard it and received, they made it their own. And then you heard and saw in me, what does he say? These do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul closes this train of thought with the whole man in mind. He instructs them that you cannot have faith that is simply intellectual, but you must be discipled so that you may move from Christian thought to Christian action. Just as there are not two kingdoms, sacred and secular, there are there are not two kingdoms of the internal and external. Jesus is king over all things, all the time. Jesus is king over our minds and our bodies. He is king over our thoughts, which brings about our actions. What we learn and receive, that is what we accept. It determines how we respond 
and react? Are we living our daily lives rejoicing in the steadfast promises of God? Are we remembering God's great kindness in His grace? Are we meditating on the challenges in our lives through the lens of God and the substitutionary atoning work of Christ? Are we resting in God's peace? Remember verse 9. The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And what great comfort we have. And the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in you as we should. We do not rest in the peace that you have given us in Christ Jesus. Please help us to understand the world around us according to your word and live accordingly. We know we cannot do this in our own strength, but it is only in your sanctifying work. We ask these things for Jesus' sake, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever. Amen.